Genesis chapter 44. <clears throat> now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this cup my master, uh, my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say, my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who, found, who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. And Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant. Though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he's the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little bit more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if your youngest, uh, our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with him. Your servant my father said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. 
And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring back to you, bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. What's your favorite science fiction film? You weren't expecting that, were you? I've got to break the emotional tension for just a moment. What, what, what's your favorite? Have I got any shout outs? Sorry? iRobot. Nice one. Oh, I'm so, I shouldn't have asked questions because I actually can't hear what anyone's saying. The Matrix. The Matrix. Okay. Any, anyone's got a shout out for Back to the Future? Yeah. Oh. What would you do if you could go back in time? That's like a common thread of the sci-fi genre, isn't it, really? We, we used to kind of like unwind sometimes of an evening and just have sci-fi nights. So it was like pure escapism, nothing too heavy, nothing too weighty. Um, and it's a common thread, isn't it? Not every sci-fi, but often you get the ability to go back in time. What, what would you do if you could? If you're inspired by uh, Back to the Future, you might think, I'll just go back 30 years or so, maybe not so long. How did my parents get together? Or maybe you would go back with uh, a clear record of all sporting results throughout recent history and, and make a fortune uh, by placing bets on how the results would, would pan out. Maybe, maybe, you would do, uh, maybe you would do that. Uh, maybe if you could travel back in time, it would give you the opportunity to spend more time uh, with a loved one. That's uh, another possibility. My, my own personal favorite Putting just a shout out for Galaxy Quest. Spoiler alert. Uh, the plot revolves around um, a particular device, the Omega 13. And through the film, this is, I'm sorry, this is a blatant spoiler, isn't it? But it's a good film. Um, the mystery is what does this device do? And it, it turns out that it enables, if you press the right button, 
enables us to go back in time 13 seconds. What's the point in going back 13 seconds? It gives you the chance to correct one mistake. And sometimes if we think, I'd like to go back in time because then I could correct one mistake. Maybe we might think 13 seconds is not quite... That, it's not quite long enough. I may not have realized it was such a bad mistake within 13 seconds. Maybe like Joseph's brothers, it's like 22 years have passed. 22 years, if only we could go back. If only we could revisit that moment when we put him in the pit, saw the Ishmaelites coming, and decided on account of his apparent arrogance uh, that we were going to sell him into slavery um, for 20 pieces of silver. That will solve all our problems, the brothers maybe thought to themselves. That's what we've been following through uh, in this this preaching series. And um, actually, in most... Now, I'm not very clever, so maybe it's just me. But whenever people do go back in time in a film or story, doesn't the plot get really, really complicated? doesn't actually get really, really messy. There are strange rules and, and there are unintended consequences and changes that happen as well. It just gets really, really complicated. Um, but the plain, uh, simple matter of fact is, not only is it complicated, it's impossible. We can't go back. We, we can't literally return to that previous moment and do something different, or avoid the scenario altogether, as much as, we might, uh, as much as we might love to. And God does not literally change the past. He, he does not literally uh, take us back as though it had never happened, and then we're able to, uh, to live in a different way. But by the mystery of his amazing, sovereign goodness, there's a way that he can take what was meant for harm Take something that's even evil and work it through for good, for the good of those who love him. That's a a key verse that we've uh, just repeated many times. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we've seen in this story, like prime example of God doing that. And I want to suggest as we look at at this particular chapter in uh, chapter 44, that we are seeing the overflowing kindness and goodness of God. This is showing us how good, how kind, and how loving God is. And we see his work through Joseph, through the brothers, and through uh, Judah as well. That's what this is going to reveal to us, the profound goodness of God. We're going to look at Joseph first. We think, what was, what was Joseph up to? When we hear the, this part of the story, we think, is Joseph playing games? Is he just messing with his brothers? Is he thinking, well, I, I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to reveal my true identity to them because I haven't got a clue at the moment. And I will forgive them. I know I have to forgive them. I will forgive them. I'm not going to do it yet. First, I want a bit of fun. I'm going to get my own back. I'm going to make them uncomfortable. I'm going to make them squirm. I'm going to make it really difficult. Why? Because they really messed with me. Is Joseph just getting his own back? Is he playing games? 
Or is he, is he changing his mind? I, I love my brothers so much. Here, have lots of food. Have all the silver. Benjamin, you can have five times the amount of everyone else. Hang on a minute. No, no, you really messed with me. Um, uh, steward, go after them. Catch up with them. Is he, is he in the midst of just changing his mind, kind of going from different opinion to different opinion, thinking, I'll forgive, I love them. Uh, no, I don't love them. Thinking, I'm going to forgive them. Or thinking, no, not yet, I'm not going to forgive them. We might think that that's the case. What this demonstrates, however, in what Joseph is doing, this is a master stroke. This might not be too far off saying, given all the emotion he must have been experiencing himself, this is a master stroke of kindness and self-control. He, if he wanted to get his own back, he could have just revealed himself straight away, locked them up straight away, and have them begging for mercy straight away. He could have done that. He chose not to. It's a demonstration of huge self-control. We've seen in the story uh, already a couple of times when he first meets the brothers, he, he weeps, he kind of takes himself aside, uh, kind of collects himself and, and, and then speaks with them again. And when, and when Benjamin, on the second trip, just recently in the previous chapter, when, when Benjamin comes with them, his, his blood brother, not half-brother, but his brother, when, when Benjamin is there, he is completely overcome. He has to leave the room. He weeps in his private room, he washes his face, and then he's ready to come back. These are the, the actions of a man who is incredibly kind, showing great restraint. He could have just revealed himself straight away. Well, why didn't he? Well, what he's doing is recreating. In effect, he's recreating the situation that happened 22 years ago. He's forgiven them, and he loves them, and he's going to reveal himself to them. But he doesn't know them. 22 years have passed. What are they like? Have they changed? He knows that they regret what they did, because he can understand Hebrew when they're talking amongst themselves, saying, oh, this is happening because of the way that we treated our brother. We heard him crying out for mercy, and we ignored him, and we sold him into slavery. Anyway, this is happening to us now because of our guilt for what we did back then. He's heard them say that. So Joseph knows that they regret it, but he doesn't know when the pressure comes, will they do the same thing? Have, have they actually changed? They're sorry, but sorry can have different flavors, can't it? It can be sorry, oh no, because I got found out, I got caught. Or it can be sorry, I'm a changed man. I'm not, I'm not who I used to be. We're not who we used to be because of God's work. He doesn't know who they are. And so before he reveals himself, he needs to find out. And so how does he find out? By putting them in the same situation that they were in before. There is a favorite brother. There's a favorite son. It's Benjamin this time. He's the favorite. And they're going to have a choice. Because they could leave him behind. They could leave him behind and accept their freedom. They could ditch him 
into slavery. There you go. Go back home. Or they could react differently. He doesn't know what they're like. Now, we might think if Joseph is playing games and getting his own back, we might be prone to think that that's what God's like with us when stuff in our life is being churned up. The brothers had this ugly secret in their past, and after 22 years, it's not being spoken about anymore. But it nags at their conscience. That's coming to the surface. It's intensely uncomfortable, and they're frightened. This is happening because God's at work. But they might be thinking God's out to get them. God, the God of justice, and he is the God of justice, is just making sure they get what's coming to them. So they're scared. But what we see is there's a God who's patiently, carefully, lovingly at work. You notice that God doesn't expose them all of a sudden. They go to Egypt. They go back home. Months passed. They go back to Egypt again. And in the course of all of that, as the story slows down, God is bringing to the surface this painful issue they don't want to think about. They don't get exposed all of a sudden on the very first moment they meet Joseph. Because God's at work. Like doing a careful operation. It's going to bring healing, but you don't just rush in and blunder in. Let's just get everything out in the open straight away. Joseph doesn't do that. Sometimes God doesn't do that. Kind of gives us time. To notice what he's doing. It might be very uncomfortable if our conscience is being stirred about something we'd rather forget about or pretend didn't happen, or go back in time and change. He's drawing the situation out slowly. But notice this as well, that even in God's kindness, he's not giving them a choice. Maybe like Steve's picture earlier on, there was a choice to start with. When Steve was told early on a Saturday morning as a teenager, Steve, wake up! And he didn't. Wake up! And he didn't, and the bag of frozen peas comes in. Ah! A, a, a father, perhaps, I'm assuming a father. A father, kind of not, not giving his, his son a choice. And God can be like that with us. Just getting our attention, getting our attention. But not to cause pain, but to make sure we don't miss the opportunity to be, to be restored into his plan and purpose. So, so God's not exposing them all of a sudden, but he's not giving them a choice either. He has painted Jacob and his sons into a corner. They've got no room for maneuver. They've got no food left in the cupboards apart from a few nuts and stuff. Um, and so jo Jacob comes to realize you've got to go back to Egypt. And, and the brothers say, well, of, of course we do, but we can't go without Benjamin. So Jacob has no choice. He has to send Benjamin as well. The brothers have no choice. They have to go back and face Jacob. And sometimes God gives us no choice. You have to, you have to face this now, what you did. Or maybe you have to face this now, what was done to you. So that was the case for Joseph, wasn't it? Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Wow, he's made me forget all the pain of the past. Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, here it is. They've just arrived on my doorstep. I can't ignore it. I've got no choice. I've got, to, I've got to work out how to respond. And so God was not giving them a, 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 a choice. Has God ever painted you into a corner? Has God been stirring things up in you, in your conscience? Is, is, if he is, 
If he has, if he is, if he, when he will. It's not just to make sure you get what's coming to you. It's not just for the sake of making you feel awkward. It's because he's doing something good. He's at work. And he's at work through Joseph. He's at work in how the brothers are. How, how do the brothers react? First of all, they're absolutely, in this matter anyway, they're absolutely certain of their innocence. You can imagine all the conversations they've had on the way to, to Egypt the second time with Benjamin. They're all talking to each other, right? No one mess around. This is serious. We're going there, we're getting food, we're answering a few questions, and we're coming straight back. You don't look anyone in the eye strange, you don't pinch anything that doesn't belong to you, because this matters. Our lives are on the line. Um, I imagine. So they're really confident. They, they know none of us has pinched your silver cup, my lord, because that would be bonkers. That would just, where would, where would the logic be in that? We could have kept all the silver from the last time that miraculously turned up in our sacks when we got back home. And we've brought all of that silver back with us. Why would we do that just to pinch your silver cup, my lord? It doesn't make, um, it, it wouldn't make any sense. They're so confident they, they suggest the punishment if they're guilty. If any one of us is found to have that silver cup, he will die and the rest will be your slaves. Notice, the steward must have known that Joseph was up to something because the steward changes it straight away to say, you're right. The guilty party will become my Lord's slave, the rest of you may go free. That's a scenario. And that's the first opportunity that the brothers have to say, all right then, seems like a decent bargain. Sorry, Benjamin, but it was in your sack. It appears that Simeon's been all right here for a little while. So what can we do? He is the ruler of the nation after all. So yeah, we'll submit to that. Goodbye. Farewell. So long, Benjamin. We're off. They could have got their freedom and gone. That was the first chance they had. So then it must have been quite encouraging for Joseph when they all returned. It wasn't yet completely clear what the brothers were like. But actually... Whereas before, they, they're ready to palm off the favourite. This time, they stay together. They are clearly changed men. They, they, they actually turn down two offers to leave Benjamin. Because then in front of their brother Joseph, not realising it's him yet, um, Joseph repeats the offer. You can all go. You can, you're free to leave. It's just a guilty one who will stay here uh, with me. So he must have been encouraged to see them. You see, what's God doing in all of this? What is the good thing that God is doing? God is bringing the brothers together. God's bringing them together. Joseph can see now that they are changed men. And actually the scenario means 
they've got to see that themselves. They've been carrying this guilty secret for 22 years. How are they going to respond when the pressure's on? They've just found out. They've just seen we're not the men we used to be. We've learned something. We've, we've learned that loving a brother is the most important thing. God has brought them back to the same situation and they are acting differently this time. And this is God's work. This is what God delights to see. This is the fruit that we are called to bear if we've received his love. Uh, Jesus' teaching, remarkably clear. John uh, chapter 13, verse 34. To his disciples, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love, love one another when it's painful. Love one another when it's awkward. Love one another when it's inconvenient. Love one another when you'd rather do a runner. Love one another when freedom from love can look so appealing. Love one another when society might just almost prescribe Go your own way. Do your own thing. Look after number one. It was what Jesus taught. It was what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse, uh, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus' passionate prayer for the, the unity of his followers, the unity of his disciples, the, the love of the brothers. And it would be what the, uh, the apostles would teach and give their lives for as well. This vision of a church, this vision of a community of love. Uh, when, uh, when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. You can look at another occasion as well. We could turn to uh, Philippians and see uh, what Paul writes there in Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you uh, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This profound love from God is to shape a community that demonstrates profound love, that makes a watching world just gasp. Wow, you're prepared to love each other like, like that? You see, the danger is that we just become a, a group of acquaintances and friends 
Um, uh, kind of picking and choosing our, our favorites, the people that we're hoping to, uh, to hang out with, um, and, and miss the fact that God's made us to be uh, a, united, a united family, demonstrating love here, there, and everywhere. That when you kind of look around the church to which you belong, you're, you're kind of seeing brothers and sisters everywhere. That we're not falling into the trap of favoritism. Well, I, I, I get on with Asher, but I don't like Gad. Well, I'd, I'd sacrifice myself for Reuben, but not for Benjamin. I, like, I really like spending time with Naphtali. But Zebulun, honestly, why do we have to put up with him? The favoritism, cliques, can just run through the people of God if we don't have a, a, an overwhelming sense of purpose in being a community that love one another. Brotherly love, sibling love. A radical love that, that unites, that doesn't settle for something less than having the same purpose, being like-minded, considering others ahead of ourselves. Working and proclaiming God's good work with one mouth and, and one heart. It's a, it's a profound vision of a people who, who've so been on the receiving end of amazing love that it permeates everything that we do. We see here the brothers have changed. The brothers have learned. There, there was a time when they would have just, when they did, leave a brother for dust. Why? Oh, well, he's just difficult. It's a bit awkward to get on with. Now... Notice all that self-righteousness has been ripped away. All that greed is, is gone. All that angst. They're even prepared to recognize. Actually, do you know what? Our father does have a favorite. And it's Benjamin. And we'll do anything to protect Benjamin. We're going to stick with Benjamin. Why? Because our father loves him. Now that favoritism in a way hopefully doesn't directly correspond or spiritually from our Heavenly Father doesn't directly correspond. But can you, can you see the kind of humility that's been worked in them? And then we consider as well not just how did the brothers react but what was Judah's part to play? Half of the chapter is him having a word with Joseph. It's, it's the longest speech by a human in the book of Genesis. You know, the, the, the pace of the narrative has slowed right down. We get you know, half a chapter. And, and what does Judah do? He, he recounts kind of every conversation they've had pretty much. Well, well, do you remember when we first spoke to you, you asked us this and we said that. And you sent us back and we went. And we had these conversations with our dad and, and now we're here having these conversations with you. He's kind of going through, going through it all. And what's... What's the focus of his conversation? What's the focus of his word? My dad loves Benjamin. I don't, I don't want anything bad for my dad. Go back to chapter 37, and we see there Judah taking the lead. And he comes up with this idea. Well, he's our flesh and blood. We can't kill the lad, can we? Let's not kill him, let's just throw him into the pit. And then 
well, let's sell him. We could make some money out of this. And all the brothers go, all right. And they agree. He kind of takes the lead, takes responsibility in the situation. Reuben had a different idea, but he doesn't really influence in the same way. It was Judah leading the way. That was what, he had this profound gift of leadership. All the brothers agreed. Yes, that's a good idea. Let's not shed his blood, but we'll allow someone else to. We'll sell him into slavery. And then you see what's happening here is such has been the work of God in Judah's life that he is taking the lead. He's taking the initiative. It says that Judah and his brothers went back and spoke to Joseph. And then as the conversation develops, it's a conversation with Judah. Judah has a word. And Judah's saying... Uh, what the implications would be if they returned home without Benjamin. He retells the whole story and then it builds up to the punchline in verses 33 and 34. Now then, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No. Do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. It's as though he's saying, if it's justice you want, here it is. Take me, punish me, keep me here, but let Benjamin go. You notice that he's not even pleading for mercy. He's not saying, oh, governor, please. He's only a lad. Well, he might be in his 30s. He's only a lad. Let him off. You know, we'll, we'll give him a thick ear. We'll make sure that he doesn't do it again. Just, would you please let him go? He doesn't ask for mercy in that way. He's acknowledging justice is called for. But then he's saying, but, but let the punishment come on me. See, why this is so profound and why this is so worth slowing down for and why it takes such a jolly long time for Joseph to reveal himself is so that we might dwell here and look at, at the profound demonstration of Judah's love. And Judah here is giving us a picture of Jesus, of what Jesus is like. Justice is called for. And, and like the brothers, or like Benjamin, we've... We're caught red-handed. We've got no bargaining power whatsoever. We have been found guilty and justice is called for. At which point, somebody else steps forward and says, I will take his place. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of of anyone that you know. This is what our Saviour, Jesus, has done for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what Jesus became for us. The perfect man taking the penalty, taking the punishment 
that we deserve. And, 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 and if you've already received this truth, then you will have known a time in life when actually, yeah, my guilt was coming to the surface. I couldn't avoid the fact that I know how I've lived. I know what I've done. I know my own mess. I know my sin. What can I do? How can I be saved? Is there any way in which the, the slate can be wiped clean? Is there any way in which I can know God? Is there any way that I can be with him for eternity? Is there any way that I can be forgiven? You know, we were singing that song earlier on, because the words went on the screen, uh, might not remember, but um, uh, this is Jesus. And the second verse, greater love. Hang on a minute. Let me find it. Because I can't remember. It's not that one. Can anyone shout it out? Keep going. All of my hidden shame. Okay, 22 years of hidden shame are coming out into the open, not for them to be condemned, but for them to be set free from a guilty conscience and be united as a family and to then know and experience the amazing forgiving love of God that is totally uh, releasing them into a fruitful future. If you have not yet received the amazing, forgiving love of God, that's what he wants to give to you. If you're uncomfortable because God is stirring up guilt and shame, it's not to put you down forever, it's to lift you up forever if you receive Jesus. If you recognize he's the one, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life. There is no greater love. There is no higher love. There is no deeper love. There is no longer love. There is no wider love than the love that is for us in Christ. Now, I need to wrap up. That's the gift to receive. Sometimes God does a slow and steady work in our hearts, in our lives, to bring us to the point of going, I'm forgiven. The weight is gone. I'm free from it. But that point comes about because of what Judah did. Judah, Joseph can see now the change that God has worked in Judah. And our calling as a people for all those who believe, our goal more than anything else is to be a community living in the good of God's radical love for us and to be a community that therefore is joyfully and even when it hurts demonstrating an overflow of radical love to one another.